0: So, we are in the season of Advent, and Advent is the time when we both remember and look forward to the coming of Christ, the coming of God with us. And this morning, we're thinking about the theme of joy, and joy in Advent, joy in the coming of our Savior. I know we just prayed, but I want to pray again to begin. Jesus Christ, you are so incredibly good to us. And this morning we are thankful for the chance to gather as your church, in your spirit, experiencing your presence, and committed to worshiping you. And Jesus, I pray now that your Holy Spirit will fill this place and the words that I say, and may you be exalted and glorified, and may we come to know and love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great. Joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. In our text for this morning, these angels show up to these shepherds and they promise this good news of great joy. What is that good news of great joy, and how do we? experience it the question we're asking this morning is how do we experience joy in the advent season and i want to give us a really simple answer and that is that we experiencing we experience joy by knowing who jesus is Right In this text, the angels come to the shepherd and they say, we have this good news of great joy. And then the next thing they say is, today in the city of David is born to you a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to unpack that verse and specifically those three words. The angels announce Jesus as Savior, as Messiah, and as Lord. And I want us to get to know Jesus better this morning by thinking about these three titles and what they tell us about who Jesus is. Okay? Hopefully, we'll learn something this morning. right? right? Uh, first, Savior. Savior. Um, if you're, for those of you who are super nerdy, the Greek word is Soter. Um, that's not, you know, there's no test at the end of this. You don't need to know that, but I think it's fun. Um, the Greek word is soter. And to understand what this word would have meant in this context, we actually, I actually have to give you a little bit of a history lesson. Um, so we're going to go back to uh, about the year 323 B.C., which is the year when Alexander the Great comes to power, takes over for, from his Father Philip of Macedonia. And in the, uh, in the next slide, you'll see what happens when Alexander the Great comes to power. You may remember this from, I don't know, eighth grade history class, or whenever you might have learned this. Um, he comes to power and within 10 or 12 years, he moves from Greece through Turkey, through the Middle East and Egypt, and then all the way eventually towards India. And he conquers this huge swath of territory in just 10 or 12 years. Um, then, at the end of that, uh, after a like drunken party, he dies of a fever. And what's interesting is Alexander the Great, after he died, he didn't pass his kingdom on to one person. He didn't pass it on to his like son or anything like that. Instead, his kingdom was divided um, mainly into four big chunks. And it was divided between his four generals, right? So the big chunks are represented here in the yellow, the blue, the orange, and the green. Okay, so his four generals divide divide this empire. Um, For the purposes of understanding the New Testament, the most important empires are the ones in yellow and in blue. The empire in yellow came to be known as the Seleucid Empire, after the name of the first general who, who was sort of king over it. And the blue was known as the Ptolemonic Empire, located mostly in Egypt. Now, if you look on this map at the land where Israel is, you'll notice it's kind of half blue, half yellow, if you can see it. The reason that is that way is because the Seleucid Empire, the yellow one, and the Ptolemies, the blue one, for the next sort of 300 years after Alexander the Great died, were constantly fighting over the land of Israel. Right, the land of Israel is really important geographically because it connects Europe and Asia and Africa. Right, so lots of important trade routes go through there. Everyone wants to control it. So they're constantly fighting over this land. So Israel experiences this time where one empire is ruling over them, then another is ruling over them, and then they might have a little revolt, and, but then it all happens again. And this cycle of the Seleucids and the Ptolemies taking over is finally ended in the year 63 BC when the Roman Empire comes in and takes control. Now, why does any of this matter? What's really interesting is that the kings of these empires, of the Seleucid Empire and the Ptolemy Empire, would often take the title Soter. They would be called Savior. So the first king of the Ptolemonic Empire, Ptolemy I, was known as Ptolemy Soter. It's Ptolemy, savior. And this continued through the, the kings of both of these empires. And this became really embedded in the cultural consciousness of the time. And one of the way that it, ways that it became embedded was through money. So these kings um, would issue right money, and they'd issue coins, which you'll see. Uh, this is a, co- a coin of Demetrius I. He was... Uh, an emperor of the Seleucids, That's the, that was the yellow one, uh, from 161 to 150 BC. Um, on the left, you see the front side of the coin that has his face. And on the right, you see an image of him sitting on the throne. And um, the words there, uh, going from, the words go up from the top to the bottom. Moving from right to left, it says, King Demetrius Soter. Right? King Demetrius, Savior. Here's why this matters. When the shepherds were in that field in Bethlehem and they heard an angel say that today in the city of David is born to you a savior, they didn't think, oh, Jesus is coming to die on a cross to save me from my sins. That's not what that word meant to them. And I I think that's true. Jesus did that, right? Don't misunderstand me. But they would have thought of people like Ptolemy I, or Demetrius, or one of the Roman Caesars. The Roman Caesars often took the title of Savior. And what they would have been excited for is a Savior from among their own people. One who was better than any of the Seleucids, or the Ptolemies, or any of the Roman Caesars. They would be excited because a savior is coming who is better than any political ruler. I think this speaks to us. I think we live in a context where a lot of people put their hopes in politics to save them. Every four years, we go to the polls and vote for a new Savior. And we forget that every year at the end of December, we remember the birth of the greatest Savior. Now, don't misunderstand me. I think Christians need to be involved in politics, and we need to use politics to um, help bring about goodness and justice in the world. But our Savior, who is better than any political ruler, is Jesus. So the first title that these angels give to Jesus is Savior, a Savior who's better than the Ptolemies or the Seleucids or the Roman Caesars. The second is Messiah. Second title they give him is Messiah. Note about the language here. Some of, if you were reading in your own Bible, uh, your translation might have used the word Christ. Right? The word Christ and Messiah are the same word. Christ comes from the Greek Christos, Messiah comes from the Hebrew Mashiach. Now, both of these words just mean anointed one. They're talking about someone who has had oil put on their head in a special ceremony. If you wanted to be really wooden about it, we could just say that it means oily head. Okay? It goes back to the Old Testament where priests and prophets and kings, when they were installed into their various offices, would be anointed with oil as a part of that process. And what happened was there developed this expectation that God's anointed one would come and um, write things that were wrong. Now, what did Jews actually expect the Messiah to be like in the time of the New Testament is really difficult to answer. Um, different Jews believed different things, and depending on which document you read, you might uh, take different things. But essentially, there were four different types of messianic expectations. Uh, there were some who thought the Messiah was going to be uh, a priest who would fix the priesthood, right, and specifically in the temple and make all of the temple things work as they should. There were prophetic Um, ideas of the Messiah, that the Messiah would come and be like one of the prophets of the Old Testament, like Ezekiel or or, um, Jeremiah or Hosea or something like that. There there were expectations for a heavenly Messiah. This is uh, the idea that the Messiah would just sort of descend from heaven and in an instant um, sort of cataclysmically change everything. Maybe the most common idea about Messiah, was that the Messiah would be a king. And in Luke chapter 2, I think this is what Luke is talking about. When he says in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus is the Messiah, he's talking about a kingly Messiah. And he's specifically talking about a Messiah who's like David. And we know this because in chapter 2, David is mentioned a whole bunch of times. In Luke chapter 2, verse 4, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house of David. In Luke chapter 2.11, it mentions the city of David. And we have the entire fact that this story is about angels speaking to shepherds, which should remind you who else was a shepherd? David. So, this idea of an anointed Messiah, like David, goes back to um, passages in the Old Testament like 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're not going to read it, but basically in that passage, God makes a promise to David that David will have a throne and a kingdom that will be eternal and that will last forever. It's an amazing promise. 2 Samuel 7. Go read it when you get home. Um, There's only one problem with that, right? David's kingdom didn't last Forever. In fact, two generations after David, the kingdom splits in half. And then just a couple hundred years later, both of those kingdoms are conquered by foreigners and those people are in exile. So, what happened was these Jewish people were in exile and they were looking back to this promise that God made to David for an eternal kingdom. And they started to believe that God would raise up a king, an anointed one like David. What would this anointed one do? Well, he would do a couple different things. He would gather together the scattered people of Israel. He would throw off any foreign rulers who were taking over and establish Israel as a sovereign, independent nation. He would bring Israel into a time of lasting peace. He would bring Israel into this great time of peace where they wouldn't have, they wouldn't be, this nation and that nation and this nation, taken over them. And then he would restore the people to righteousness. He would purify them from sin and bring them back to living as God wanted them to. Basically, the Messiah is someone who fulfills God's plan and God's promises for Israel everything that God has been doing from the beginning of Scripture, the promises he makes to the patriarchs, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then later to Moses and then eventually to David, these promises are fulfilled in the Messiah who is Jesus. It's really comforting to know that God has such a magnificent I don't know about you, but there are so many times when life doesn't feel like it has a plan. And some people really love when things are spontaneous, but I don't know about you, I'm a planner, right? I like things to be in order and planned. And we can trust that if God has been working this plan out from the very beginning, and we can see it in scripture that we can trust that God has a plan for us as well. So, Jesus is the savior better than any political ruler. He is the Messiah filling God's plan for Israel. And then lastly, he is the Lord. He is the Lord. For those of you who are nerds like me, the Greek word is kurias. Now for us to understand what this means, we need to go even further back into the Old Testament to, gen- to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 is the story of Moses and the burning bush when God calls Moses to rescue Israel from slavery in Egypt. Now in that chapter, Uh, Moses makes a bunch of excuses and he asks God a bunch of questions about, you know, saying that he can't do this. And one of the questions that Moses asks God is he says, God, if I go and I do this thing, the people are going to ask me um, who sent you. And then what should I say to them? And this is what the text says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Now this word, the Lord, is really fascinating. In our English Bibles, it's translated capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, The Hebrew word is probably Yahweh. But to be honest, we don't actually know what the Hebrew word is. Because the Hebrew word is written without vowels. So we know what the consonants are, but we don't know what the vowels are. The reason it's written without vowels is because Jewish people don't even want to speak this word. They often refer to this word just as Hashem, which means the name. It is God's name. It's not a title like Most High or Blessed One. It's not a title like, you know, doctor or president or uh, mister or whatever. It is considered God's name, Yahweh. Now, what's interesting is that there's this really old Greek translation of the Old Testament that was made before the New Testament. And in this Greek translation of the Old Testament, every time they come across this name for God, Yahweh, they translate it with kurios, the word Lord. So among Jewish people in the time of Jesus' birth, this word Lord, this word kurios, became a substitute for, For the name of God. Now, this is really interesting because when we get to Luke chapter 2, and these angels say, uh, In the city of David is born to you a savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. That phrase, the Messiah, the Lord, doesn't make any sense, right? There's no other occurrence of that phrase anywhere in the literature that we have, right? In ancient literature. And in fact, it's such a strange phrase that many scholars think that Luke is mistranslating the Hebrew. Because what we would expect Luke to say is the Messiah of the Lord, which would mean the Messiah that belongs to the Lord, or the Messiah that's commissioned by the Lord, or the Messiah that's sent out by the Lord. But Luke doesn't say that. He says, the Messiah, the Lord. What this means is that this Savior, who's better than any political ruler, this Messiah who is fulfilling God's plan for Israel, isn't some dude that God is sending. It's not someone commissioned by God, but it is God himself in human form to come to his people. It's not God sending someone else to be Savior and Messiah. It is God himself coming as Savior and Messiah. Advent. God with us. Uh, This next picture is an image of the countryside, sort of around Bethlehem. I want to give you a picture of what kind of area the shepherds would have been in on this night as you can see it doesn't look like a very easy place to be a shepherd right it's kind of rocky right it doesn't look like there's a lot of vegetation or stuff for your um, sheep to feed on but i want you to try to put yourself in the shoes of these shepherds imagine yourself on that hill It's the middle of the night. You're surrounded by a bunch of sheep. smells really bad. You're tired from a super long day. If you were a shepherd in the first century, you're poor, right? You don't have a lot of money. You're living paycheck to paycheck. Your life is characterized by financial instability. You definitely don't have a retirement plan. You're working hard. You're spending your whole day with these sheep, trying to keep these sheep alive. In fact, as in this story, you're pulling an all-nighter looking after these sheep. You're working long hours, often away from your family. Sound familiar? Your job as a shepherd is not one that is admired. You are looked down upon You are low class, you're uneducated. Many of the rabbis would say that shepherds are some of the most dishonest and immoral um, people because uh, their flocks would eat other people's grass, or other people's crops. So you're poor, you're hardworking, and you're seen as dishonest. You're living in a political situation where your country is constantly being played with as a toy by these larger powers, and you don't feel like your voice is heard, you don't feel like you have any any influence or anyone cares about you as you are in this somewhat barren place watching your sheep. And then this night, an angel appears and says to you but not far away is a child who is the Savior who is better than all of those other political rulers who have toyed with you and used you for their own interests who's not only Savior but Messiah who is fulfilling God's Plan and who is proof that God is in control over history and who will fulfill the promises that God has been making since the beginning of time. And not only is this person Savior and Messiah, but this person is God himself coming to be with you. And you, you poor, overworked, insecure, marginalized shepherd on a hill, you are the first to hear about this. And you get the option to go to Bethlehem and see the child. You have been given the invitation to know Jesus to experience Jesus as your Savior and your Messiah and your Lord. And then, as if this isn't crazy enough already, and then this child, you know how you're going to know it? It's an infant. A crying, liquid running out of it all the time, vulnerable, needy, Infant in a feeding trough for an animal. Go and see the child who is Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Brothers and sisters, our joy in Advent is not in any of the commercialisms of Christmas. It's not in end of the year bonuses. It's not even in friends and family. It is in knowing Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Messiah and our Lord.